From the US to Europe, an international podcast breaking down structured credit one tranche at a time. Welcome to The Last Tranche, Credit Flux's bi-monthly podcast discussing CLOs and all things structured credit. My name is Hugh Minch, I'm a reporter with Credit Flux, and I'm joined today by Sirhan Sashman, who heads the US CLO investment strategy at Napier Park Global Capital. Napier Park manages around 10 billion in CLOs across both the US and Europe. Sirhan, thank you for joining me today. Hugh, thank you very much for having me. I want to start by talking about where we are in the CLO market right now. We've obviously had record issuance this year, which is continuing. Uh, there was $2 billion new issue priced yesterday in the US. The equity bid's clearly there since these deals can get done fairly easily. Are you of the view that now is the time to you know, get in on as many deals as you can, or are you trying to be more selective? When you're looking at the markets, there are two main things one should consider in analyzing. The first thing is the fundamentals. The fundamentals is the main driver on the credit quality and how the market is uh, going to be operating in the next leg of the cycle in terms of its uh, credit capabilities. In terms of the market fundamentals, we have a very strong time frame that is mainly uh, fueled with low interest rates. There's a lot of um, adaptation that the market was able to do uh, post-COVID. Economy is in a very strong footing. The productivity is high, and therefore the default rate is expected to be very low. So this is definitely a very strong fundamental uh, background. The second is technical. The technicals are at a very strong footing as well. We're seeing a massive inflows coming into the market. There's an excess liquidity that the, the Fed had created as a response to COVID that obviously is flowing into all kinds of markets, including the credit, that creates a lot of headwinds, uh, tailwinds. And what does that mean? So we have strong fundamentals and we have strong technicals. So this is the very environment that the investors has to be very, very careful and very vigilant in terms of making the careful selection in investing in a very strong market. The reason is very simple. There's a lot of tailwinds that is fueling uh, this market that potentially masks the manager incompetence. And it also invites a lot of tourists that are trying to get the excess yield from this uh, seemingly resilient market. So we find that now is more critical than ever that the investors should focus on the manager selection and investing in the CLO market. That's interesting. So it sounds like the reverse of that phrase, the, the rising tide lifts all ships. I guess when everything's seemingly going well, it's, it's a, it masks a lot of decisions managers are taking that maybe are not good for the equity investor. Is that what you're saying? Eventually, the market cycles come and go. And um, you would observe that each 
cycle is the bedding for the next one. And when we observe these cycles one after the other, it is usually the reverse of what the, the market technical is becomes the bedding for the next fundamentals. And what does that mean? It means that very strong technicals right now is creating excess liquidity to firms, to issuers that otherwise would have difficulty in accessing liquidity. And, and these issuers will be funded with that ex excess liquidity, which will be probably the next leg of the uh, uh, idiosyncratic default cycle. And that in itself, to your tied uh, analogy, is the time where you should be really careful so that the tide doesn't rip you apart from the shore. Yeah, so um, if you're taking a long-term view of the market, what are some of the factors that you look at that differentiate managers in terms of how they'll perform? So looking at managers, you have to look at it a few things. The first is, how do they manage risk and how do they produce returns? So looking at managing risk, there are different styles. You can look at how are they diversifying their portfolios. Example is there are some managers who likes lumpy portfolios and some others resort to diversity as a means of risk management. And where do they play in that credit spectrum? Are they on the safer part of that uh, credit spectrum or are they reaching out for spread? When you're looking at the return side, where does the manager produce the return from? Where is the juice coming from? There are several ways one can do it. You can reach out for high spreads, low rating, low quality. You could look and reach out for lower facility size. You can do more second liens, or you can stay in your comfort zone or medium or high quality names, and you can produce a lot of returns through trading activity. So one should look at the managers in these two major facets. The first is how do they manage the risk? How do they produce these returns? Another layer to look at how these managers are uh, producing uh, returns is that looking at the quantity of the returns as well as the quality of the returns. And what do, that, what do I mean with, with the quality of the returns? The market conditions change, and it is a natural cycle that we go in and out uh, on different um, you know, parts of the, the cycle. There is different dynamics that play out in favor or against a certain manager style. But the thing that we observe the most is that the quality of returns usually is associated with the consistency of returns, regardless of the environment that uh, the, the manager is passing through with their portfolios. So I, I suppose, given all the technical and fundamental factors that you outlined already, maybe those managers that are reaching for higher spread now 
are the ones that are posting the best returns. But then you have a situation like COVID, say, or whatever future volatility-inducing event there is, uh, that picture is going to change pretty quickly. So one way to look at it is look at what is the value that the manager is adding to the portfolio and what are the things that are important to produce the quality returns. We find that there are two things. The first is the credit selection. How well does the manager do a credit selection across the universe of the loans to produce the portfolio for their CLO? This is number one. Number two is how well do they um, repair and rebuild their portfolios over time in ever-changing market conditions? Vis-a-vis -vis the portfolio agility, how well do they manage actively the portfolios? So investing in a, um, any portfolio or any investment vehicle is like putting together a soccer team. You cannot have just one style of player to make up your soccer team. You need to have different styles and, and hopefully best of each one of these uh, classes to be and, uh, and play your uh, strikers, to play your defense and to play your midfielders. So maybe the equivalent of these in, in, in portfolio management world is a striker is a manager that goes and reaches out for return and and usually puts on excessive risk and puts on um, a lot of spread. So at good times or better parts of the cycle, they, they do quite well for a, for a while, but they are usually uh, stretching for yield and they are usually caught in poor credit selection. They don't have much liquidity when the tide turns, um, but they produce a lot of returns when the, when the wind is coming uh, from their tail. So the, the, the defense, which is probably maybe the second category, is more or less the opposite of the strikers. They tend to be very um, defensive in the way that they uh, construct their portfolios. They are very slow to react to market changes, and, and they usually do not capitalize on, on the market recoveries when they are happening. And then the third style um, is the midfielders. And those midfielders are usually agile uh, players uh, where, depending on the market condition, they can go and play defense when it is calling for it, or they can switch for an, an, a more of an attack game, more of an offense game when the market is calling for it. So looking and investing across many cycles uh, over the so many years, our conclusion is that the best players that we've observed and, and uh, invested had always been uh, the midfielders. The midfielders that are agile enough to be able to adapt to different market conditions. And therefore, we see that as maybe a core component 
of every portfolio, regardless how defensive you want it to be or how aggressive you want it to be, uh, adding some of those managers who are very agile, who are very active, tend to increase the quality of your returns. So how do you get that mix right? If you're sticking with your football analogy, say the equity must then as I know the, the, the manager or the owner of the club, how would you, you, you don't want a team entirely of midfielders, do you? you want to have a couple of strikers, maybe some defenders in the mix as well? How do you, how do you get that balance? So the best way to structure it is to find A, and identify A, the uh, best of class in each one of these categories. What is a good defender? What is a good uh, striker? And what's a good midfield? And then to make sure that the styles are consistent with the rest of the organization within that, um, within that manager. Uh, with that, I mean, if a manager is, let's say, um, quite defensive, and they usually play um, their portfolios with extremely uh, convicted positions, you want to look in the depth of their credit coverage. You want to look into their analysts' um, experience level to make sure that they will do well in a concentrated bet in what they're getting into. Likewise, if you're looking for a manager that is maybe quite aggressive and they do use diversity as their risk management, you want to make sure that if that manager is extremely diverse, uh, and which means that each one of these analysts must be covering uh, multiple names, much more than an average uh, industry standard is calling for, you want to make sure that they have a deep bench and you want to make sure that they have a large enough of a team to make sure that the quality of the coverage is not going to be deteriorating. So these are just two examples of what I uh, mentioned that one should look out. But evaluating a manager, there are a, a ton of metrics that you can look at. Um, we're lucky to be in CLO market, which is extremely transparent. You can evaluate and measure a lot of things related to um, how the managers are constructing their portfolios, as well as how they are managing their portfolios. How are they relative to their peers? How are they relative to what they were only maybe a year or two years ago, a half a cycle ago? So all of these give you a lot of quantitative measures that one should put into their arsenal on, on selecting a manager. On top of that, there needs to be a qualitative evaluation of the manager to see whether the incentives are aligned, to see do they have the right resources to be able to manage their portfolios, to see if their styles are consistent with the rest of the organization in culture and strategy-wise. 
And all of these things will paint a big picture. And I know that I throw it out a lot. So here's the way to simplify it. Over the years on how we invested successfully in this market, we came out to two factors that matter the most of all of those things that you could look and evaluate a manager. And those two things come out to, drum roll here, the first one is how well are they in credit selection? And how well are they doing their credit job? And the second, and probably the biggest differentiator, is that how active are they managing their portfolio? How agile on that, uh, on, on uh, responding to market conditions as they change? When the volatility comes, when the, the investment thesis changes because there's a pandemic, how fast do they adapt to the new environment? This is a game of survivor in, in the market. The market is the habitat and we are the species. And the one adapts the most, the one adapts the fastest will survive, if not thrive. So those two factors, the credit selection and the agility on managing the portfolio are the key attributes that makes a manager thrive in all conditions, all weather. You haven't mentioned this yet, but um, I wanted to talk as well about uh, manager tiering. I mean... The idea that manager tiering is changing is something that comes up a lot um, more and more frequently in the conversations that I have with people in the market. Um, obviously, from, from a debt investor's perspective, manager tiering is pretty, pretty obvious. Top tier managers can issue their debt at lower spreads than a lower tier manager can. Uh, but what about from an equity investor perspective? How do you, how do you view manager tiering? So you use the very keyword you said from the debt investor's point of view, and this is very important. This I'll explain why it is a, a keyword. First of all, it is like the Einstein's theory of real relativity. It is the speed in which that value measure from uh, is really important. And which means the the tiering is very relative term from investor to investor and definitely massively different from the way that a debt investor would identify away from an equity investors would identify. So this is one important thing to establish at the beginning of a tiering conversation. The second thing is that tiering is very nebulous. There is no standard or consensus in the market about what is a tier one uh, investor, what is a tier two investor, what is a tier three investor. Ask three investors, you will have four different answers. Yet, amazingly, there seems to be a theme about certain managers, about their performance, about the quality of the returns that they generate that attract a, a manager to be identified as a top tier manager, second tier manager, or a third tier manager. So with all these um, metrics as the background, tiering is a, a very, very dynamic concept. 
it does change as the cycles evolve because there are investors that are very short horizon uh, focused and there are some investors that are long horizon focused for the short horizon uh, focused investors um certain part of the cycle um lifting up certain managers uh, brings a lot of attention and they tend to be receiving a lot of uh, inflows from those short dated or short focused uh, investors uh, but they tend to be leaving the these managers when the tide turns um and and likewise the the tiering definition ebbs and flows when each one of these legs of the cycles come in managers uh, reaction to that leg of the cycle either uh, improves their uh, perception in the market or uh, deteriorates it so it, it is a four-dimensional uh, concept it is definitely something that tends to be evolving a lot in the market and every time we go through an interesting time period like we did in covid the tiering uh, shifts tiering readjusts itself there are a lot of tier one managers or perceived to be tier one managers that were caught off guard when um covid came in and worse some uh, reacted in the worst possible way by um, deteriorating their portfolio by burning away par. Uh, so those are the things that the investors like us definitely uh, make use of while identifying who are the, the performers in which market cycle or the performers for the long haul. So we use that as a means to identify and hence we come to these conclusions what type of a manager is best for the next leg of the cycle what type of a manager is best for uh, the long haul yeah um i suppose also it's it would be good to hear your views on um you know whether debt investor tiering um impacts your views of a manager as well i mean if a manager is able to issue its debt at tighter spreads and has a better day one arbitrage than another, um, in your view, does that have a long-term material impact on equity returns relative to some of the other factors that you've mentioned? It is interesting that when you look at the long-term equity performance of managers deal by deal, and what was the arbitrage at the time when the deal was printed you would find that there is a very little correlation between those two think of the investment silly equity investment is running a marathon and the day one arbitrage is whether you're starting that marathon 100 yards early or 100 yards late if it was measured in a very short period of time or very short distance that would matter a lot yet when you're looking at the lifetime of the uh, the investment the initial day arbitrage though it does have some impact it doesn't fully impact the outcome the larger outcome 
is again coming into those two factors we talked about before credit selection and how uh, well the manager turns over their portfolio creates value through trading those are more important than day one arbitrage and not to forget like most deals have one or two year non-call period uh, after which they either refi or reset so the 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 short-term advantage that a manager might have uh, one or two basis points uh, will quickly fade away uh, when the deal is refied and reset um, if you have to put some quantities on it let's say a manager is priced uh, two basis points tighter relative to another manager that might me you know seem a lot at, at first but a very mild trading uh, gains uh, that might be uh, accumulated over a two-year period um, can definitely overdo and overcome that two basis points deficiency. And usually on a refi, uh, they can reset to a level to award them uh, for their outperformance. Uh, if they created par, they can definitely uh, turnover and then uh, flush that back to the equity or they can use that to refinance their debt much tighter levels because they have now more subordination so we see that it is an important factor but not to a level that would um that would make or break the long-term investment thesis right yeah um just thinking back to COVID again because you mentioned that some managers were caught off guard when when the crisis hit i was just recalling the um the vegas conference back in february of that year and so the coming crisis you know people knew about it but it wasn't much talked about so i was thinking you know, perhaps if a manager was going into it more defensively positioned say or with lower exposure to travel and leisure you know maybe maybe they did that but with a huge exogenous shock like that where the need for a policy response is so apparent is it really possible or to what extent um can lessons be learned about you know when people are caught off guard um in a way that's likely to shape your view of the manager's likely future performance is that is there is it really possible to draw draw lessons based on that there are a lot of lessons to be drawn from COVID. And one of them, or the most stark one, is you can never predict an uncertain event like COVID. And you can never be fully prepared for it. It is possible, though, how you structure your uh, portfolio, how you manage your portfolios that can adapt to an unknown event that might come in like a pandemic and or it could be a, a, a massive earthquake or it could be even a meteorite hitting an earth and and all of these things will throw an unknown into the market conditions yet are you prepared to uh, first uh, position yourself to reduce risk and second turn around and use it as a opportunity to create part to create value for your investors 
one of the biggest lessons that the managers should take out of this is that you cannot prepare for every contingency uh, scenario. It is not possible. If you try to do so, you will probably end up with a very suboptimal portfolio and you will underperform nine out of 10 times. But it is possible to structure a portfolio, to cultivate a culture and a style that is much more adaptable, much more agile, much more in tune with value rather than the initial thesis on credit. Nobody, nobody likes being wrong. And I, I love that actually. You want your portfolio managers to be right and you want them to hate being wrong. But the, the problem is when things go against your initial thesis, that the desire to stick with your initial thesis becomes your handicap to turn around and sell that credit you, that you bought only a couple of weeks ago uh, because you want to be right. You want to be the, uh, in, a, in a position where you would like to stick to your guns. Yet, what we found is that the managers who can disown the, the thesis, the initial investment thesis, as soon as the environment changes and calls for a new thesis to be uh, established, the ones that can divorce uh, the, the initial investment from their mind finds it better to analyze the market and be able to provide liquidity. And not only that, go back to the market and find out what is mispriced. How can I take advantage of this dislocation? And those are the ones uh, that did well. And, and we happen to be in one of them because it was our style to be a extremely vigilant on how we choose credit. And B, we are one of the most traded, if not the most traded uh, portfolio uh, in the solo universe. And those are the things that really caught the attention of a lot of investors. We were not alone, by the way. There were a lot of, um, I would say not many, but there are enough managers that had this similar style. Um, and and in the end, those are the managers who came out strongly uh, out of the COVID recovery. So that was, that was 2020. We're now approaching the end of 2021. You've talked about the need for investors to be vigilant given where things are in the market right now. What are some of the issues you're looking at when assessing a manager's potential future performance rather than their past performance? What are some of the headwinds on the horizon? The keyword that I will start with is effective risk management. For us, risk management is non-negotiable. It is, especially in an environment like this, what you need to evaluate a manager is how well they are managing the risk. It is either day one portfolio construction or on an ongoing basis, how they are dealing with, uh, with the risks is the main criteria that in any environment that the investors should be focused on. 
we're operating in a fixed income world. I mean, by definition, income is fixed. There's only limited upside, yet there is a ton of downside if you get it wrong. And that mentality, that DNA is the main driver on a manager's either success or failure in an environment like we are right now. Um, and when evaluating a manager, you look at what is the next leg of the race? What is the ne next leg of the cycle? And how is it likely to play? I mean, it, looking at where interest rates are right now, looking at the default rates, it is not totally crazy to imagine that we're going to have very low default rates in the near term. However, rates eventually will start rising and this very low interest environment and the excess liquidity will provide a lot of um, access to issues that otherwise shouldn't get funded, will eventually come to an end, meaning the tide will go away. What will happen? What is next is an increasing uh, increase in the idiosyncratic default environment. Just like we did in 2019, as you would recall, we enjoyed a good seven quarters of influx into the, the loan market and definitely buoyed up to the CLO market uh, along the way as well until Q4 of 2018, when the race story had changed, it only took roughly about one quarter for the idiosyncratic defaults to come uh, surfacing. And that will be the next leg that we're going to be seeing that will be followed by a very low default environment. So the question is, how well these managers are gonna do? It is definitely a, a credibility point, how well you did in the past will play a role in the, the, the decision how you're going to be uh, positioning yourself for the future. However, you cannot drive a car by just looking at the rear view mirror. You, you have to look at the environment as well as what had changed. How, what did the manager learn? How did they adapt? Uh, what is their current view in the market? How are they positioning their uh, portfolios? all play into whether you'd like to stick to a manager that is done well, or you'd like to go with a manager that uh, learned a lot and would like to adapt well into the next environment. And it is not a rocket science yet. There is a lot of variables that goes into analyzing and finding a manager. There's roughly give or take 120 out there. And I would say a, a good a quarter of them is poised to be uh, quite suited for the next leg of the cycle, if not for the long term, to be invested in the, in the CLO market as an equity investor. The rest, in my opinion, is going to be definitely adapting and, and try to readjust their uh, positioning in a way to outperform the the uh, the average of the market returns and um, the only way to do it 
as we have seen, is to be very vigilant on, on your credit selection and also uh, be very active on managing your portfolios. That's great. And it'll be interesting to see what the, what the new year has in store for us. Just finally, I know that you've been involved in some charity work in the last week. I just wanted to see if, um, just as, as we finish up, if you wanted to say a few words on what you've been up to. Thank you very much for bringing that up. Um, this is a, a passion uh, of Napier Park that we give back to community. And our CEO, Jim O'Brien, uh, had been involved in this uh, organization, Covenant House in New Jersey, that basically helps the uh, homeless teens. And I have been lucky to be involved in it in the past three years. And this year, um, I did a, a, the sleep out with my son for the first time. Um, we raised funds uh, for the Covenant House uh, that provides all these uh, facilities as well as educational services. Uh, and, and it is poised to end uh, uh, teen homelessness. Um, and thank you very much for having me uh, and, and, and talk about our firm, talk about uh, our view on the market, as well as uh, talk about the things that we have uh, passion. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us as well. It's always, um, especially in a, in a time where you know, the credit markets are fairly benign, it's always useful to hear how, how you're evaluating the, you know, the potential pitfalls that managers may be, uh, may be uh, tripping into. Uh, Sir Hanshade Seshman from Napier Park Global Capital, thank you so much for joining The Last Tranche. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Last Tranche. If you like our show and want to know more, subscribe to Credit Flux and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share our content.